Welcome to Premium Cashflow Real Estate Investing Podcast with Sakar Kali. During this program, you will hear guest experts sharing their experiences, best practices, and market insights. We discuss investing in multifamily apartment complexes and how a busy professional can passively invest hassle-free in various opportunities. Your host, Sakar Kali, owns millions of dollars of assets and has done thousands of value-add projects over 20 years now. So listen in for insights. Here's your host, Sakar Kali. Welcome to another edition of Premium Cashflow Podcast. Uh, today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Antoine Martel with Martel Turnkey Properties. Uh, thank you for taking time, Antoine. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So Antoine is with uh, Martel Turnkey. Their group does a lot of turnkey properties uh, and they do a lot of multifamily as well. And he is a veteran investor who has seen a lot of deals and done a lot of repositioning and stuff. And he, he is also very well versed with a lot of passive investors raising equity and capital for acquiring the deals and things like that. So uh, with that background, uh, Antoine, uh, give us some perspective on, you know, sort of what your background was and how you sort of came into real estate. Yeah. So um, as you can probably tell, if you're watching the video, I'm pretty young. Um, so <laughs> I started investing when I was 19 years old. Uh, my dad took me and my, my brother took me and my dad to a real estate investing seminar. We learned about flipping houses, raising money, wholesaling, everything. Hmm. Uh, just in a short little weekend, we kind of learned the, the macro level of, of kind of real estate investing and what it is and what it's supposed to look like behind the scenes. And so with that, you know, I, we were all like super pumped and we, we lived in uh, San Francisco at the time. So everything was super expensive and we started making offers and, you know, making offers on million dollar teardown properties and stuff like that. And just after six months of doing that, we just kept getting bid out, bid out, bid out. Everybody would just, you know, make high, way higher offers than us to where the deal didn't make any possible sense in our opinion. And so we realized that with, you know, the amount of capital we had and stuff like that, just like this strategy wasn't going to work. We only had like 40, 50 grand saved up. It was just my dad's money. And so my dad went back to work. He was, you know, working full time in the Bay area. Um, and then my brother went and became a realtor in the Bay area. So went down that route. And then I moved to Los Angeles to finish up university. And so then while I was here, I was like, man, I really want to figure out this real estate thing. I don't want to go and graduate and get a job and work for somebody else. I want to figure out my own business. And so I started just networking and, and meeting as many people as I possibly could in LA who were investing in real estate. So, you know, a couple of them were, flip, were doing stuff locally, but a lot of them were doing stuff out of state, whether it was buying turnkeys or flipping houses or investing in syndications or doing apartment buildings. And so I just kept on picking these people's brains about how they chose the market, found the team, found the property and you know, how they, how they did what they did. And sure, so sure. Mm -hmm. with that, with that couple with the networking and also like listening to bigger pockets podcasts all day long, I finally realized that, you know, with our resources, which was, you know, 40 grand, mm -hmm. the only place to really invest that would make sense for us um, was to do an out of state burr project. So mm -hmm. my last semester at university, uh, I chose my market, which was Memphis, Tennessee. I built a team, which was like a, you know, a contractor, property manager, realtor. And then I found my first property and put the property under contract for 35 grand, renovated it for five grand. So all in for 40,000 bucks. Mm 
mm-hmm. then rented it out or rehabbed it, rented it out, and then did a refinance and pulled all the money out all mm-hmm. before I graduated. And then I went to, you know, my dad after, and I was like, Hey, I can keep doing this after I graduate. I don't want to go and get a job. Let me just keep doing this and grow a family portfolio. And so that's what I ended up doing. And I was like, just give me six months, just pay for my expenses. Let me figure this thing out. Give me six uh-huh. months. If not, then I'll go get a job or move back home or whatever the case may be. <laughs> that's so, awesome. Uh-huh. Yeah. So then graduated in May by December, we had like a portfolio of like eight to 10 single family homes in Memphis. So I see, know, I see. it had worked. Look- Way to take action and, you know, massive, massive action and doing lots of things. So that's yeah, congratulations. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, uh, so give us a perspective of Antoine as to uh, what your portfolio looks like today. Yeah. So today we, so we have a turnkey business that business buys rehabs, rents and sells around 10 houses a month. Mm-hmm. So last year we did 85 homes. This year we'll do over 120. And then, mm-hmm. so that's just with the turnkey, you know, flipping essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're doing 10 houses a month there. Then with the apartment buildings we have last year, we bought was our first year buying apartment buildings and we bought close to a hundred units of apartment buildings wow. in, Mem- mm-hmm. in Memphis, Tennessee. I see. I see. Oh, awesome. Awesome. There's a lot of, uh, goodness that we can unpack slowly and sort of, uh, you know, go through step by step. Uh, now, Antoine, you said you acquired a lot of single family houses in, uh, I think uh, you said, uh, you shared with me earlier that it was in Cleveland, Ohio, right? And you you have some footprint in uh, Memphis, Tennessee as well. Uh, yeah. g- give us a sense of, uh, you know, why those two cities, uh, you know, like w- w- what sort of went through your mind uh you know you shared earlier that you spoke with a lot of other investors uh yeah uh, as well and you know spoke with them uh, give us a sense of like you know what was going through your mind and you know why you chose these two cities yeah so the reason why we chose the two cities was first of all listening to a lot of podcasts and listening to what other people were looking for so everybody's looking for like population growth job growth uh major employers the mm-hmm. diversity of the workforce um, what companies are there? Like the big companies that are there, do I think they're going to be around? Is it an Amazon or is it, you know, is Blackberry the largest employer? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so doing that kind of research, um, also like looking at, um, for example, a landlord tenant law. So is it a landlord friendly state or not? Mm-hmm. Um, and then also just the price points and the population. So, there was a couple of things like I wanted a place that had enough population. So like over 250,000 people wanted to be landlord friendly. Mm-hmm. I wanted the price points of the homes to be less than a hundred you know, or close to a hundred thousand bucks on a mm-hmm. median. Mm-hmm. And so looking at all that different kind of data is how I, I literally made a gra- uh, uh, Excel spreadsheet of just like, you know, the 250 MSAs or whatever in, in the, in the country and mm-hmm. ran all that data. And mm-hmm. then, um, kind of from that list, I, I Memphis, Cleveland, Birmingham, and St. Louis were, were on the top of the list. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. those are the people then in the markets that I just started cold calling and, and networking with people on the ground in those four markets. I see. I see. Now, speaking of networking, as you pointed out, uh, you live in LA as you shared, right? Yeah. And um, how did you get started initially? Like, uh, do you had to visit a lot, look at a lot of properties, uh, give us some sense of like those first 30 days, 60 days, you know, how, how did that uh, come about? Yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah, let's say I had the Excel spreadsheet done and I was kind of like trying to build that team on the ground. Mm-hmm. And so the way I went about it was just cold calling. So cold mm-hmm. call every single property manager, every single realtor, every new listing, I would cold call people, you know, the listing agents, 
And so that's kind of how I built the team was literally just cold calling. I didn't even go out to the market cause I couldn't cause I was still in school. So I had to be here to show up for class. Sure. And so it was all done virtually. And even the first like three or four houses that we bought were all done virtually. I never actually went to, to Memphis, Tennessee or touched the ground or did anything like that. Mm-hmm. It was all just virtually done and just, you know, having checks and balances. Right. So I would always like hire an ex- inspector to go out to make sure that, you know, what he said was true and to validate information that I was getting just to make sure. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's kind of how I protected myself. Cause a lot of people are, you know, really scared to buy stuff sight unseen. And sure. I guess I kind of just realized too, like, okay, the contractor is telling me this, the inspector is telling me this, that matches up. Like, okay, do I really need to go out there? Like I, I I've never even, you know, I've lifted a hammer a couple times in my life, but I, you know, I'm not going to be able to, to sure. know like, Oh, this needs to be replaced. And this needs to be re-, like, no, I'm, I'm going to let the professionals tell me I'm going to take all the information I can buy, which would be like an, a property inspector. And then I'll use that information to, to make the right decision. Absolutely. And one, you shared that, uh, you know, you initially purchased at um, 35,000, you invested 5,000 and stuff, right? So uh, when you acquired, you had like good agent uh, uh, sort of relationships or was that through like some wholesalers and things like that initially? So that was just a listing on the MLS actually that I was cold called. I mean, I, I called like 200 realtors and mm-hmm. all the property management companies. So I had already mm-hmm. talked to so many people. And then whenever a new listing would come up, like in an area that I liked, quote unquote, mm-hmm. um, then I would cold call them and I'd be like, Hey, my name's Antoine. I'm a out of state investor. I want to buy this property on one, two, three main street. Mm-hmm. I want to buy it and rehab it and, and then rent it out. And you know, is that possible with this? What do you think it'll be worth after? Oh, I think it's worth 65K. How much work does it need? Oh, I already have a bid from a contractor. And so like he was just on that phone, like a five, 10 minute, five, 10 minute phone call. You know, I already knew that he was light years ahead and he had the right connections. Oh, mm-hmm. do you have somebody who can manage the property? Yeah, I have a property management company that I use and my mm-hmm. clients have used in the past. And so like just with that one phone call, I was like, oh my God, this is after 250 phone calls with other realtors, um, you know, this guy was light years ahead of, of these people and was like, you know, somebody I can actually build a, a long-term relationship with. I see. I see. Awesome. Now give us a sense, Antoine, as to, uh, what does, uh, your team look like right now on the ground? Yeah. So we have in Cleveland, Ohio, we have a project manager, property management company, and then we have about like nine crews running at any given time. Cause we have hmm. like, like 30 to 40 homes, you know, projects going on right now. Then in Memphis, Tennessee, very similar. Uh, we have a property management company, which has a lot of people within there. Sure. And then uh, we have two contractors running. One one runs all the apartments, all the unit renovations, and then one does our single family homes that we're just getting into again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course you have, you know, your escrow companies, your insurance companies, your different lenders for every market. Um, but yeah, it all started really with just the property manager and then using them as a as a hub to like different people and meeting uh, different people for your team. Sure. 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 And, and how many years you've been doing this? You said Antoine. So I brought, bought my first property in 2017. So started learning about real estate in 2015, but now um, 2017 was when we bought the first one. I see. I see. Now uh, acquiring these many properties and, you know, sort of going through the renovation and stuff is very capital intensive and one. Uh, Give us a sense of like 
how does your sort of uh, you know the money side or the capital side of things work like how, how do you sort of bring in investors and what sort of relationships uh, you uh, establish with them during the deals yeah so we a couple of different ways we do it so with the single family homes we raise a lot of private money so people will lend us money we'll pay them 12% interest a year mm-hmm. and we'll use their money to buy a house rehab it rent it out and sell it so mm-hmm. that's how we fund a lot of it's 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 almost like hard money, but without the points. And I get to, you know, I take it from friends or family members instead of paying, you know, some big, huge company that that's their business. I sure mm-hmm. have somebody who has a 401k or whatever, and I pay them the 12% mm-hmm. annualized return. Mm-hmm. So that's how we fund a lot of the, the turnkey side. The multifamily is funded with the first couple of projects. We did it on our own because it was like a new venture kind of thing. So I didn't want to take anybody's money and for sure. something brand new. Mm-hmm. So, um, now with the multifamilies, we do a lot of joint ventures. So like we'll, we'll still own like 60 or 70% of the deal, but we'll raise money to help from other people to help fund the gap. So for sure. example, mm-hmm. a project needs a million bucks and I have 600 grand. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'll put my 600 grand in, but I'll go raise the other 400. There's no point of passing on a deal when I have, you know, when we just need a couple hundred thousand bucks extra. And so that's how we've been funding the, the multifamily projects as well. I see, I see. Now, uh, on the single family side, although you have a turnkey uh, business, you said, right? But do you typically keep uh, any buy and hold properties for yourself or you guys are strictly uh, selling them as uh, turnkey properties? Yeah, so we, at the beginning we were, we were like, you know, it would be like sell three, keep one, sell four, keep one, sell five. Mm-hmm. And then it just kept scaling up like that. Mm-hmm. But once we realized that we, due to the amount of volume we were selling, we had enough capital to actually buy multifamily, mm-hmm. then we just stopped keeping and holding the, the single family home space. Because I think like the only thing stopping us from really going and like starting in apartment buildings was just lack of capital. Sure. Like, so much more cap, like even like a, an 11 unit building we bought in Memphis, like, you know, it took 500 grand of cash to be able to buy it and renovate the entire apartment complex, right? So- End to end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like even in, so then once we realized that, that we, we had the ability to, to go and buy these multifamily projects because we had the capital, then that's when we stopped holding on to the, to the single family home side. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I see. Now, um, I know there's a lot of appetite for passive investors to invest in, let's say the apartment projects and come on as limited partners, right? There's also an equal appetite, uh, you know, to buy the turnkey properties as well uh, from a lot of, you know, passive investors, you know, give us a sense of, uh, you know, what sort of uh, is the investor appetite uh, on the turnkey side? Like, what are you seeing? Where are your investors coming from? Is it just word of mouth or are you doing any marketing and things like that? Yeah, so finding the turnkey investors um, was all word of mouth to begin with. It was like, and still today, like 80% of the clients we have are either repeat business or referrals. Mm-hmm. Um, the new clients, like somebody who comes from Google or marketing is probably that, that other 20%, but then most mm-hmm. of the time they buy and they buy multiple or they buy and then they refer their friends and family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's been great. It's been great word of mouth. Uh, and we've been able to slowly increase our supply because the demand has been there. Um, mm-hmm. we also, I mean, we still do a ton of marketing, obviously doing podcasts like this, mm-hmm. um, blog posts, posting on every single social media platform. I've built a pretty good uh, Instagram following by just posting there every single day, mm-hmm. um, running ads on Instagram and Facebook and, you know, just helping people, you know, get started. 
whether that's getting started with buying a turnkey or getting started with, you know, uh, wholesaling or just giving people advice and giving people free advice has, has really helped just with the word of mouth. Because, you know, if I give 10 people advice about ways that they can go and burr something, you know, mm -hmm. I don't make any money from that, but those people then have a friend that doesn't want to do that and they want to buy turnkey, but they tell them about that phone call. You know, that's, you know, helped me get a lot of business just because I'm actually taking the time to, to help people out, which a lot of people don't do for free. Right, right. And now, uh, you know, obviously these are out-of-state investors who are buying these properties, right? Um, what, what, what is their sort of property management strategy? So does your group offer like a package service with property management? How, how do you sort of tackle that aspect of it? Yeah, yeah, great question. So all of our properties come fully tenanted and we help our clients, our clients get property management, insurance, and financing. So mm -hmm. every, every person they're going to need, if they want an inspector, we have a list that they can use as well. Mm -hmm. So yeah, every person they're going to need, we, we already connect them with. And mm -hmm. so normally they'll come, they'll sign the contract with us to buy a property. That property closes in 45 days, for example. As soon as they sign it, we make all those introductions. So, hey, here's the title company. Here's the insurance guy. Here's the property manager. Go meet them, vet them yourselves. Let us know if you have any issues. We've never had any issues. Mm -hmm. uh, and then here's the lender and go, go start getting your financing. And I so see. then it's a 45 day process. I see. So you are referring there, uh, Antoine, that uh, sometimes you have projects that are, you probably have just acquired, but you are marketing them as being, let's say if you bought something at 40,000 and you're marketing it at 80,000, that would be the sort of the fixed price or the turnkey price with tenant uh, placed in that. Uh, is that kind of what you're sharing uh, there? Yeah, we, so we'll normally buy houses for like 20, 30, 40 grand. We'll buy mm -hmm. them vacant normally. We'll sure. renovate them, spend 20, 30, 40 grand on the renovation, and then we'll sell them for 70, 80, 90, 100,000 bucks. <laughs> and so we'll sell them for like, let's say somebody puts something under con. We always sell our homes for their appraised value, right? Sure. So somebody comes and puts something under contract for 90 grand. They mm -hmm. go through the financing, call the appraiser, appraiser goes out. Let's say it appraises for like 85,000 bucks. Mm -hmm. We'll just drop the price to 80 from 90 to 85,000 and call it a day and, and close the deal. I see. Mm -hmm. um, so we always want our clients to feel like, you know, they're paying fair market value. I never make them come up with extra capital at the closing table or anything like that. It's, you know, I want them to, to feel like they're getting a fair deal as well. I see. I see. And, and then, you know, you, uh, you have your own appraisers and uh, sort of uh, lenders and things like that. You, you shared Antoine initially? Lenders. Yes. Appraisers. No. So appraisers are always chosen by the lender. Sure. Um, and mm -hmm. we don't really have any say in, what they who they choose because they have to follow Fannie Mae guidelines sure, sure, which means sure. they have to have a pool of different appraisers sure right? sure it's all hands-off now, now I, I you're absolutely right there yeah yeah and, and Antoine like when they're doing the appraisal they basically I assume that they're doing the as is appraisal uh, sort of on day one and then perhaps as renovated appraisal like maybe in 30 days or something so you're getting like two figures uh, is, is does that sound about right no. So we'll, what we'll do, let's say they put something under contract. Um, so like our client comes and put something under contract, mm -hmm. we'll finish the renovation and then we'll tell the lender to send the appraiser. The reason we don't do the two, two ways like that is because it, um, it just costs more money. So normally it's like they have to re, uh, what's called an extra trip fee or something like that. So it's ever, a couple hundred bucks every time you want that person to go out. So we normally just wait till renovations are hundred percent complete. And before the tenant moves in, and so mm -hmm. we normally have like a one to two week window there 
where mm -hmm. we get the appraiser out there to go and do an appraisal. I see. And how are you placing the tenants? You have the leasing agent relationships already, or you have a good uh, sort of supply of tenants all the time? Yeah, we, it's, it's crazy how quickly the, those properties rent out. They normally rent out in like 10 days, I think is average where we get a, a tenant to sign a lease and then they move in, you know, a week or two after that. Mm -hmm. um, so very quick for, for the tenants to move in to get to tenants and it's the property management company handles all of it for us. So they have many different leasing agents. They blast the properties everywhere, Zillow, hot pads, you know, et cetera, et cetera, apartments.com. And so all the, the properties are, are blasted everywhere online. And then mm -hmm. they've been, yeah, they've, they're really good. I mean, we also like price our properties accordingly, right? So, you know, if market rent is a thousand bucks, we may do 950, 970 just to get a tenant in there quickly because, you know, for us, speed is more important. And also sure. if you listen at 950, we get 40 applicants instead of a thousand, you get four applicants. So now I have a bigger pool of people that I can choose from and I can choose the strongest candidate. Sure, sure, sure. And, and and once the tenant moves in and your property closes and stuff, right? You you are essentially or your company is essentially done with the transaction, and then it's up to the uh, external investor and the property management. And and then at that point, the external investor is taking on from there. Is that is that, is that yep. how it works? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we as soon as they buy the property from us, we're kind of hands off because we mm -hmm. built those relationships. You know, sure. introduce them to different people. So mm -hmm. then moving forward, they're going to have that relationship with the property manager without us, uh, which is great and which is fine. Sure. And then, mm -hmm. you know, if there is any issues, normally they come back to us and, Hey, there's, you know, which has happened like two or three times. Mm -hmm. uh, hey, they told me this, this, and this, or you told me this, this, and this kind of thing. I see. Um, mm -hmm. And so they'll, I'm always here and available. A lot of people say, Oh, as soon as you sell it, you're going to disappear. No, I'm, you know, I want you to come back and buy more. So I'm always going to be here and, and help you with, you know, getting through the process. And Sure, and, sure. And now give, give us a sense of, uh, you know, sort of what is the age of properties, Antoine, and what sort of renovations you are doing and, uh, you know, just the general cost uh, of, you know, uh, things. Yeah, so normally our properties in Cleveland are like 1960s build. Um, mm -hmm. So a little bit older of homes. We've gone all the way up to like 1910s. Um, which are super old, super old properties. Mm -hmm. um, anything before 1900s, we don't really touch. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of the, the age of the homes. Renovations really depends. Um, our goal is always to make things, you know, clean, safe, and livable. Mm -hmm. um, so we've done everything from like, you know, $60,000 jobs to $10,000 jobs. So mm -hmm. everything really in, in between there, you know, stuff that needs, you know, a full gut and then all the way up to, you know, stuff that maybe has a tenant in it. And we just got it at a really good price because, you know, the seller was distressed and really needed to get out or needed their money and needed the cash in a couple of days. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's kind of what we do. We make sure that all the, the biggest thing for me is just all the major systems and major, yeah, major systems. So mm -hmm. making sure all of those are good and in working order mm -hmm. and working and not leaking or, and the roof is not in, in leaking or anything like that. So that's the biggest thing for me. If we don't go out there and replace all those items, then we normally get a home warranty for our clients as well. Um, so yeah, that's, if you go like even just on our website and look at all the properties that we've sold, sure. we have mm -hmm. a very similar renovation Sorry. style. We use the same, it just, just helps with scaling because a hey, use Absolutely. this flooring mm -hmm. and this paint and you know, we can just buy the same thing. We don't need to think about what color works. Just you have one sure. template and they keep right. doing it. 
Absolutely, yep. absolutely, absolutely. Thank you for sharing that detail. Absolutely. And and Antoine, like, how many contractors you have in the group, uh, or you know, what sort of scale uh, you are at right now? Yes, yeah, so we have nine contractors that are full with us, um, and then we have nine contractor crews that are full with us, or so nine GCs that are full with us, and then we have two more that we're adding on. So we'll have like 11 because we normally like, we're always testing new contractors and we start them off with small jobs, mm-hmm. like $2,000 job, then a $4,000 job, then a $12,000 job, and then slowly just scale them up to where they can do like a 20 to $30,000 job. And do they stick to the timeline? Do they stick to the budget? Are they easy? Are, how's our communication skills, et cetera. And mm-hmm. so we're, we're always testing and adding new, new, uh, new contractors. But I yeah, see. Nine, nine crews with us now, and then we're slowly adding more and more. I see. And, and in terms of your renovations and stuff, right? Uh, are you uh, like at that age, I'm not sure if you have any lead paint issues uh, in the houses. Uh, do you encounter any, any of that, by the way? Any what kind of issues? Lead, lead paint. Oh, lead-based paint. So we, not really, because most of the time we're, most of the time we are repainting the entire property. Mm-hmm. And there's not really much chipping paint and we try to just get rid of all chip paint and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we haven't really encountered it. We have to sign that lead-based paint disclosure, but we have never done any, you know, lead-based paint testing or anything like that. Most of these properties, again, we go and take the paint off and repaint the entire, the entire property. Anyways. Sure, sure, sure. And are you replacing any wood component as far as molding doors, uh, cabinets uh, and things like that? Uh, uh, do you typically replace those? Yeah. So windows is like one of the big things that we do. Mm -hmm. Um, Doors. Yeah. Most of the time we'll, we'll replace all the doors and the lock sets and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, In terms of kitchens and kitchen cabinets, it really depends on the, the layout of, of the kitchen and if it's in good shape and then if it needs to be replaced, if the kitchen cabinets needs to be replaced, then we can do that. Most of the times I don't think we do. The, The things we do all the time is really like paint flooring, and then all the majors make sure all the major systems are in good shape, landscaping, mm-hmm. and then exterior cleanup. And because a lot of times the exterior siding is just damaged. And so fixing the exterior siding, exterior paint, doing things like that. I see. I see. And you're putting uh, any carpets in the bedrooms or finishing hardwood floors or anything like that? How, how does the flooring look like? Yeah, I would say 80% of the time it's just vinyl plank that we put uh, in the entire property. And then, yeah, sometimes we'll put carpet in the bedrooms only, but mm-hmm. yeah, carpet and like living rooms and kitchen area, uh, never happens. Sure, we always sure, put sure. the vinyl plank. I see. I see. Got it. Now moving to multifamily, uh, Antoine, uh, how does, uh, sort of, you know, uh, what sort of, are you requiring like a huge value add, uh, projects, uh, give us a sense of how the, how your apartment projects look like. Yeah. So apartment building projects, huge value add. So renovations like 15 grand, 20 grand a unit that we've been spending. Mm-hmm. Um, we normally double the rents, like rents from, we buy properties for rents from four to 500 bucks and then turn them into eight or 900 bucks after when it's all done. Mm-hmm. So those are the kind of projects we do. Normally we, anything from like 10 to 30 units has kind of been our range that we've been doing. Mm-hmm. Um, all in Memphis, Tennessee, and then normally all in one zip code that we've been buying these apartment buildings as well. So I see, I see. Um, yeah. And, and uh, how is the tenant base? Is it a strong uh, sort of a good job, job population? They can afford the higher rents immediately. Uh, give us a sense of that. 
Yeah, so we we like to go in and buy the properties. Normally when we buy them, they have a couple of vacancies. So those are the units we'll start off with. And then over time, just tenants naturally just leave. We mm -hmm. don't really go and like blast a bunch of people out of the units or, or give a huge sure. eviction list notice. It just takes too much time and money. Most people just leave naturally. Mm -hmm. So we'll go as, as units vacate, we'll renovate those units, renovate those units. And then, um, yeah, it's a different kind of class when, when we go and buy that property, you know, it's a different way, different kind of tenant than who's renting it out for 850 a month. So sure. the 850 a month tenant, you know, young professional, young couple, um, millennials most of the time, cause they want those kinds of upgrades and they want to be in that kind of neighborhood cause we're in sure. like an up and coming kind of hipster neighborhood. So they're willing mm -hmm. to pay the premium and the rent for the nicely renovated unit and then be cl close to the work, their work. Um, which a lot of the times they're, they're working downtown or there's a big hospital community also in Memphis. So they're working at the hospital and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, most of the time, yeah, it's, it's young professionals, um, either a couple or, or somebody um, by themselves. Sure. Sure. Uh, now how is the investor appetite for uh, investing passively or purchasing your turnkey assets? The investor process. No, no, the appetite, meaning like, are they, uh, are you seeing a lot of uh, people coming to you and buying turnkey or oh. investing in apartments uh, projects of yours? Yeah. So we, over the last couple of months due to COVID, it's kind of, it's been harder to find those kinds of people. I mean, a lot of people just lost their jobs or were worried about losing their jobs. So they didn't really mm -hmm. want to really want to spend their savings on buying or investing in real estate. Sure. I think that now that people see the end of the tunnel that, you know, we sold like over the last weekend, like five properties. We had like mm -hmm. 10 properties available. We sold half of our inventory. And then every day this week we sold one as well. So we're almost, we're almost sold out, mm -hmm. which, uh, which hasn't happened for over the last couple of months. We've kind of just been stacking inventory. And then now, sure. you know, things have, Suddenly. I think people see the, yeah, exactly. People see the end of the tunnel and they're like, okay, I'm going to get through this. My job is fine. I'm not going to, you know, Except unless there's another spike in COVID or something like that, but you know, we're fine and we're in good shape. And so I think that the investor appetite is growing now as we speak um, every single day, just people are feeling more and more comfortable about it. Awesome. Awesome. Couple of last questions, uh, Antoine. Um, how does like sort of your short term, like, you know, let's say three to six months or perhaps one year goals look like, are you looking to scale up big or what, what does sort of near term future look like for you? Yeah, we had a phone call about that yesterday. Um, I think for the turnkey business, you know, it's very hard to scale it very quickly. Um, you know, you're doing 120 homes a year. Like if you want to 10 exit and, you know, go to, you know, a thousand homes a year, like you can't just do that in, uh, you know, by spending more money. You can't just do that by like traveling and going and meeting new people is, you know, it's very difficult. You have to test all these teams because you're, you're relying heavily on other people like contractors, sure. property mm -hmm. managers, and, you can't go dump a hundred properties or a thousand properties and try to, to sell them turnkey. It's not going to work, especially if you want to keep, keep your brand and your reputation around. Mm -hmm. So scale up the Martel turnkey business slowly. And then, you know, before the end of the year, I'd like to buy one more apartment building. Um, if our lender opens back up, which I'm not sure if they will or not, but because mm -hmm. uh, a lot of these multifamily lenders who are like asset based and not like Fannie or Freddie um, sure. have to shut down or, or slow down their lending. Um, so that's, that's kind of what we're working on. 
uh, one more apartment building before the end of the year and then just slowly scaling up the turnkey business. I see, I see. And, and give us some of the best advice you have received so far, whether it was your father or fellow investors and stuff like that, that kind of, you know, helps you daily and stay disciplined as you kind of do deals every day. Give, give us some tips about that. Yeah, I mean, one of the one of the big things that we like to say with me and my team in Cleveland is called, is just controlled growth. So, um, and also like just getting used to the ebbs and flows of having your own business and especially a real estate business where, um, you know, you're, there are seasons, for example, like in Cleveland, there is a winter, right? Yeah. So in California, we don't have that, but you know, the ebbs and flows of the business. So, and also like controlling your growth. So, you know, if you do a hundred homes one year, again, you can't just go and do 300 homes and expect it, you know, sure. not stuff to break. <laughs> so controlling your growth and then also just, just scaling slowly up and then managing the ebbs and flows of, of the business and just kind of riding the wave because, you know, you may have, there's always, there's like a funny thing that we always encounter, which is one month we'll have like, there'll be nobody will buy a turnkey property from us or put one under contract. And we'll be like, we need more buyers. We need more buyers. We'll, we'll do marketing or whatever to get more buyers. And then we'll sell out and we'll be like, oh shit. Okay. We need more properties. We need more properties. And we'll go and we'll find more properties. And then we'll be like, all right, we have too much inventory. We need to sell it, sell it. And it, you know, every month it's like a different issue. Sure. So every month we can have the same zoom. We can have the same podcast phone call. And you'd be like, what's your biggest issue right now? Every month it's going to be a different, something different. different <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, I mean, I want to congratulate you on your success Antoine. Thank uh, you. I mean, at such a young age uh, doing, uh, you know, such big deals and just the expanse of doing turnkey, managing renovations, bringing in, you know, all sorts of investors. And, you know, of course, now you branched out into apartment buildings as well. So, yeah. and, you know, I have done thousands of renovations myself, so I can quickly relate that uh, how busy and how capable you are. So I definitely <laughs> want to appreciate and congratulate you. So Absolutely. thank you for your time today. It's been a pleasure knowing you and I hope, uh, uh, you know, we'll, we'll definitely reach back again uh, in future and kind of see what, what other big things you are up to. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Premium Cashflow Real Estate Investing Podcast. Please join us at premiumcashflow.com to sign up for weekly updates, research articles, and more. We will see you again for another great interview with an expert guest.